Hi, you're listening to Impact, Dialogos, a podcast on Brazilian contemporary politics, populism and conspiracy theory. I am Katerina Hadzikidi and I'm your host. In this episode, I speak with João César de Castro Rocha. João César is Professor of Comparative Literature at the State University of Rio de Janeiro, UERJ. He is the author of several books, among them Literatura e Cordialidade, O Público e o Privado na Cultura Brasileira, which won the Mário de Andrade Award, and the O Exílio do Homem Cordial, Ensaios e Revisões. His book of dialogues with René Girard and Pierpaolo Antonello, Evolution and Conversion, has been translated into seven languages and received in 2004 the Prix Aujourd'hui in France. Among other distinctions, Jean César has received the endowed chair Machado de Assis of Latin American Studies and was Ministry of Culture Visiting Fellow at the University of Oxford, Tinker Visiting Professor at the University of Wisconsin, and John and Rose Jackson Fellow at Yale University. Recently, he published a book slightly outside of his professional trajectory so far. It is titled Guerra Cultural e Retórica do Ódio, Crônicas de um Brasil Pós-Político, which we could roughly translate as Culture Wars and Hate Rhetoric, Chronicles of a Post-Political Brazil. In this book, he analyzes another book, Orvio, which was written by members of the armed forces at the very end of the military regime as a sort of answer to yet another book, Brazil Nunca Mais. It sounds complicated, but João César will clarify the content of these books in this episode. So my first question to João César was about identifying some key terms found in his most recent book. More specifically, I asked him about his definition of hate rhetoric and Bolsonarism. I think there are some key terms that we should start by defining them. First of all, hate rhetoric. It's very important to me to make a distinction between hate speech and hate rhetoric. Hate speech has become a, a fundamental topic in the international debate that it is very hard to define hate speech. Although we have the sense what is a hate speech, sometimes we cannot pin down a precise definition the ones who resort to hate speech, they always can say, well, I'm just exercising my freedom of expression. It's a very touchy issue and at the same time a fundamental one because we do know that hate speech has practical consequences. However, in my book, I'm proposing a different concept. I'm not working with the notion of hate speech. I'm working with the notion of hate rhetoric. This is a fundamental distinction because hate rhetoric is a technique which has a specific aim and in order to achieve it renders uh, available some, some two or three fundamental tools. In Brazil, it has been taught by Olavo de Carvalho. He has propitiated the development of this hate rhetoric. The hate rhetoric is a technique and as such it can be taught and above all it can be learned. And one of the main problems in Brazil today, in the Brazilian contemporary public debate, is the cognitive chaos produced by the hate rhetoric. 
whose aim is to reduce the other, is to reduce anyone who does not mirror my own convictions into an enemy that has to be symbolically eliminated. The first step towards physical violence is symbolic violence. Hate rhetoric, as it has been practiced in Brazil for the past 50 years, is a very dangerous tool that was fundamental to the rise of the far right and more specifically of Bolsonarism. Here's the first point. The main tool, the main linguistic tool of Bolsonaro's culture war is Olavo de Carvalho's hate rhetoric. There is a second concept, and with this concept I conclude my the recent book, is a post-political Brazil. The post-political Brazil emerged out of a paradox. In June 2013, millions and millions of Brazilians literally invaded the streets with protests and manifestations against, above all, the system, the Brazilian political system. Therefore, a paradox emerged, and this paradox is fundamental to understand Brazil today. The post-political Brazil refuses the traditional sense of politics, that is to say, an institutional mediation between state power and citizenship. At the same time, politics have become the passion of Brazilian everyday life. And this paradox has brought two main consequences, and those two consequences combined produced Brazil today. It was digital activism and the judicial activism. And without this paradox, I think, we would not understand the rise of Bolsonaro. João César identifies a paradox inherent in the cultural war waged by Bolsonarism. It is at the same time the reason for its success and its predicament. The element, as he says, that will bring about Bolsonaro's government inevitable collapse. I asked him about how he conceives of culture war in the Brazilian context and how are we to understand its paradox. Bolsonaro's culture war cannot be understood without this worldwide phenomenon of the rise of the far right. Of course, Bolsonaro is not understandable without the inspiration of Donald Trump, but also without the inspiration of the so-called illiberal democracies, such as Hungary, Poland, Turkey. However, in my book, I have tried to understand the Brazilian circumstances of Bolsonaro's culture war. I would define Bolsonaro's culture war according to four points. The first one, of course, is anti-communism. Anti-communism is fundamental in Brazil. Since 1935, the rhetoric and the mentality of the Brazilian military forces has been completely dominated by anti-communism until today. Do not forget that Bolsonaro himself was a military man. The second element is a very important one. It is the Brazilian doctrine of national security. The military dictatorship promulgated three laws of national security. The fundamental law to understand Bolsonaro and Bolsonarismo is the second one, the law of national security promulgated in 1969. This is not a common law. This is a death code. The word death appears 32 times. 15 articles prescribed death penalty for political crimes. The concept that grounds the law of national security is the concept of a revolutionary war. This is particularly revealing. Guerre révolutionnaire 
was originally a French concept developed by the French government in the colonial wars, especially against Algeria. It allowed for torture as state policy. And actually, this French doctrine of guerre revolutionnaire was fundamental to all the military dictatorships of the Southern Cone in the 1970s. That is to say that the law of national security promulgated in 1969 has as its core the establishment of a figure, the internal enemy, the subversive, the leftist. And the internal enemy would be treated within borders as if he was an external enemy in times of war. Therefore, everything was allowed. Torture to obtain information, execution in extreme cases, the disappearance of bodies. All of this was a state policy museum. On the symbolic linguistic level, on the level of discourse, uh, there is a striking resemblance between this law of national security and Olavo de Carvalho's rhetoric of hate. Ultimately, it goes the same, is to eliminate the other, is to destroy physically, if possible, anyone that does not mirror my own conviction. That's why this is a, a threat to democracy. Finally, the fourth element, so rhetoric of hate, is the third element. And the, the final element was a key element to Bolsonaro's successful campaign in 2018. It was that Bolsonaro embraced the so-called gender ideology. However, here lies a predicament. Bolsonarism can only be successful through, through culture war. Because culture war allows for the identification of enemy. However, you cannot produce enemies constantly without disregarding objective data, because you cannot have all the time enemies, conspiracy theories, all the time, 24 seven, in 365 days, in two years of government, in one single moment, you have to start governing the country, as simple as that. You cannot govern a country without taking into account objective data, facts, not alternative facts, which are very powerful, to engender polarized narratives. How are you going to govern? How are you going to plan the administration of a country as complex as Brazil if all your success rely on culture war? Then you have a paradox. The more successful Bolsonarism is, the less probable there will be a Bolsonaro's government. Donald Trump lost the elections because he did not respect facts. When you have a pandemic, when life is at stake, life, this simple concept, is ever more important than any dispute of narrative. Death cannot become viral. When you face your death, when you face your friend's death, when you face your parents' death, you don't care any longer for narratives. So I think that this paradox will bring Bolsonaro's government to a collapse. Jean César makes a rather somber assessment in suggesting that the democratic period that was inaugurated after the end of the military dictatorship and with the federal constitution of 1988 has come to an end with the election of Jair Bolsonaro. He calls the incumbent government architecture of destruction, inspired, as he says, by Peter Cohen's film Architecture of Doom. I asked João César to tell me more about it 
and in what ways it may raise the alarm of a post-democratic period. Bolsonaro's government is entirely devoted to undermine and even destroy all the rights granted by the 1988 Constitution, which was the first constitution after the 21 years of military dictatorship. You have a series of institutions which are inscribed in the 1988 Constitution that does not favor precisely Bolsonaro's project. Bolsonaro's project is the project of an illiberal democracy in Brazil. And Bolsonaro's government as an architect of destruction has a target. The target is the 1988 Constitution. So it is an architect of destruction because uh, step by step, they are undermining all the premises of the 1988 Constitution. But it can be even worse. We'll still be talking about a very important document which I have brought to the public discussion, the Oak View. But I'm just telling briefly that according to the Oak View, communism in Brazil, the leftist militants in Brazil, in 1974, gave up the idea of taking over power through arms and devoted themselves to infiltrate all the public institutions as well as the media, the entertainment, and so forth and so on. In this revisionist mentality, that from a historical standpoint is absolutely false, but has, that has produced concrete effects. The most concrete one is Bolsonarism. According to these or views narrative, to win an election is just one step. But uh, it is not even the most important one. You have to arrive at power to destroy all the institutions that they believe have been appropriated by the leftists, the institutions which have been infiltrated. The military dictatorship was extreme, was authoritarian, adopted torture as a state policy, executed adversaries, disappeared with bodies. So no one would ever defend such a dictatorship. But the military dictatorship had a project for Brazil, which was not mine. Perhaps it was not mine, it was not from the majority of the Brazilians, I would say. But they had a project. Bolsonaro's government does not have a project for the country, has only a project of destruction. So the government as an architecture of destruction is much more than a metaphor. An important part of João César's recent book is dedicated to analyzing a secret project of historical revisionism known as Orville, which is the word for book in Portuguese, livro, written in reverse order, and originally titled The Black Book of Terrorism in Brazil. Orville narrates the alleged interminable communist conspiracies to take over power since the party's foundation in 1922. Through what he calls textual ethnography, João César points out striking structural similarities between Orville and Brazil Nunca Mais, the watershed book project that documents episodes of torture and violence during the military dictatorship. In a sort of vile mimetic inversion, Orville becomes the negative mirror image of Brazil Nunca Mais. I asked Raul César to tell me a bit more about Orville, the sociopolitical context from which it emerged, and about what its creators hope to achieve with it. It's not an easy text to read, I have to say. Orville has 956 pages, and it is truly the symmetrical inversion of Brazil Nunca Mais. From 1985 to 1988, 
the Minister of the Army, Leonidas Pires Gonçalves, gave the task to a limited number of officials to use the archives of the army to produce a similar document. And then you can see how they are in parallel. So they write Ovil, which in Portuguese is book, the other way around. So what they are turning upside down? Brazil nunca mais. Brazil nunca mais resorted to documents uh, gathered at the military Supreme Court. Ovil was the result of documents that were archived in the army. The documents used by Brazil Nunca Mais aimed at denouncing the crimes of dictatorship. The documents used by Ovil aimed at denouncing the crimes of the urban guerrilla, so of the leftist resistance movement. In both cases, they had similar documents and a similar purpose. It was to denounce violence, violence from the military dictatorship, violence from the urban guerrilla, that from the standpoint of the army. No one actually took these documents seriously, but a few number of militaries and uh, extremists in Brazil, because this is almost unreadable. You have a thousand pages that describe how the leftist groups were formed, then destroyed, what crimes they committed. You have numbers and numbers and numbers, dates and dates and dates. It's almost unreadable after three, four hundred pages. You have there, and there's almost a thousand pages, you have 40 pages no more than 40 pages that are tantalizing because they are a synthesis of Bolsonaro's mentality. They explain the government as architecture of destruction. They explain the desire to eliminate anyone who does not mirror your own convictions. In these 40 pages, the OVU proposes an alternative revisionist narrative of Brazilian Republic from 1922 onwards. 1922 is a year of the creation of the Brazilian Communist Party. And then says, or view, that the whole of Brazilian history was dominated by the international communist movement trying to take hold of power in Brazil. The material, the documents and the sources that I had to work with, they are sometimes completely misleading, misguiding, uh, dominated by deliberate misinformation. But then I had to develop a method and the method was what I call textual ethnography. And that basically means when I have a document such as Ovil or the books by Olavo de Carvalho or the documentaries produced by Brasil Paralelo, a producer of far-right documentaries, completely revisionist and ultimately wrong. I mean, with the basic mistakes in chronology, in factual history. But when I analyze those sources, I work as an ethnographer. And I try to understand the worldview contained in this document. The worldview behind Ovil then is the following. In 1974, the leftists in Brazil got together, produced a self-critical appraisal of their military efforts, and decided that from 1974 on, they would not any longer try to take over power through arms, through revolutionary violence, Rather, they would try to infiltrate the institutions of the state. They would try to infiltrate civil society through press, mainstream press, mainstream show business, entertainment, literature, arts, theater, so forth and so on. And uh, they would then 
change completely the strategy. They would fought for power not any longer through military actions, but through the tools of democracy. And already in 1986, Ovil identifies the new enemy of this new Brazil, the Brazil after the military dictatorship. And believe me, it is written there, the political party of Lula. In other words, Ovil in 1986 identifies the enemy of the future, the Workers' Party, o Partido dos Trabalhadores. In 1985, Brazil nunca mais, Brazil never more, won the battle of the past. And it was established that in the past, the military dictatorship adopted torture as a state policy. You have no ways to deny it, since the documents were produced by the militaries themselves. Our view was a fight for the future. João César maintains that the conspiratorial narrative core of Orville has had a significant influence on the Bolsonaro family, who even offered a copy to Olavo de Carvalho back in 2012. I ask him in what ways exactly does Orville inform the ideological basis of Bolsonarism. In 2012, in his last radio program called The True Outspeak, Olavo de Carvalho acknowledges that the, the Bolsonaro family had sent to him the overview. In a recent interview made by his son, the representative Eduardo Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro once more mentions the overview, saying how important the size of the overview was to him and to all his family. Two things were fundamental in the overview to Bolsonaro. First, historical revisionism. The military dictatorship only prevented the worst to come. Again, I'm doing now an exercise of text etnography. I'm putting myself on Bolsonaro's shoes. Huh? Orville allowed for a magical conversion. If the Brazilian communists are inspired and even funded by the international movement, the international communist movement, then this Brazilian communist at the same time is an internal and an external enemy as well. Internal as Brazilian, external because he follows the command of an international movement. Therefore, against this enemy, anything goes. Every sort of violence is allowed. Every arbitrariness is justified. This is described in the obvious mentality. And without this, you do not understand Bolsonaro. But this is also the mentality of several military men in Brazil. This is a danger. So this is the first thing. The second thing, the narrative proposed by Orville locate in the infiltration, the true threat of communism after 1974. So the enemy does not present itself openly and the enemy infiltrate without your awareness. And therefore, everyday life is a battle. In Bolsonaro's conception, there isn't politics If you think of politics as the art of negotiation, and in every single negotiation and concession, for Bolsonaro, life is a war. My final question to João César is whether, in his view, the COVID-19 pandemic affected or will affect the architecture of destruction, and if so, in what ways? Political campaign is like a carnival. You may allow yourself a month, two, perhaps three months, of intense propaganda, of escalation of symbolic violence. You can do it because there is a time when the campaign will end and you start to govern. But then what is 
Bolsonaro's attitude during the pandemic is to produce constantly alternative effects, is to lie, is to find enemies. Now he's fighting the governor of Sao Paulo, who has become the devil. There is always a devil to be found. And this is producing a collapse in the government, but it will become even worse in the months to come. The administrative collapse was brought to the fore by the pandemic. The social consequences, I think, will be dramatic. And uh, I just hope that the democratic institutions in Brazil will be able to react in time. Because one of the drama of the establishment of liberal democracies is that no one takes seriously the efforts until it is too late. Viktor Orban in Hungary, Duda in Poland, Erdogan in Turkey, they won elections. Maduro in Venezuela, he won elections. But then from within democratic institutions, they start to infiltrate the state apparatus. And when they arrive at the judicial system, then the liberal democracy is established. This is Bolsonaro's project for Brazil. It is the project of an illiberal democracy. This was an episode of Impact Dialogos. In this episode, I spoke with João César de Castro Rocha about Orville, hate rhetoric and Bolsonarism. Impact Dialogos is an original production that is part of the ERC-funded Pact, Populism and Conspiracy Theory Project at the University of Tübingen, Germany. It is written, produced and hosted by me, Katerina Hadzikidi. Sound design and mixing by Ignacio Albornoz Farinha. Special thanks to Steffi da Silva, Yulko and Michael Buter. Thank you for listening. See you next time.